Welcome to Mid-South Viewpoint. I'm Byron Tyler. You know, one of the privileges of hosting this show is the opportunity it provides me to meet people from all walks of life. We get to tell some incredible stories where you see God's fingerprint, His power, His love, His forgiveness, and His grace working in and through human lives. Occasionally, I like to revisit an interview from the past. That's what we're going to do today. Back in 2016, I was attending the National Religious Broadcasters Convention in Nashville, Tennessee. I met Flossie McNeil, who at that time was the director of Unshackled, the award-winning radio drama from Pacific Garden Mission in Chicago. Unshackled has been a staple program on Bot Radio Network for many years. Flossie has since retired from the Pacific Garden Mission. Her story includes growing up in what Flossie calls a small village in Mississippi. Let's join that conversation now. How do you do? (laughs) (laughs) That program, that voice coming on the air and welcoming people to Unshackled. Amen. From the Pacific Garden Mission. Yes. Flossie, in some of my earliest days of radio, and I've been doing this for a long time, but probably when I first started Christian radio back in the early 1980s. Wow. I remember Unshackled. I mean, this program has been a landmark in Christian broadcasting for how many years now? 65 years, going on 66 years. I want to get to your story. Okay. But I think it's important that we let listeners know because there's a a message here. For 65 years, you have been proclaiming lives that have been transformed through Jesus Christ. Absolutely. I mean, listeners love Unshackled. Matter of fact, sometimes we have to kind of make some programming changes. You know, as a radio station, sometimes you have to move programs around. Yes. Yes. And anytime you mess with Unshackled, you get some calls, okay? <laughs> People love the program. Praise the Lord. Because it's about life change. It is. It is. It is not just about life change, Byron. It is the story of God and the lives of people. That makes a significant difference. I often say, uh, for those who come to the live production on Saturday, and they see the technical team, the director, the sound engineer, uh, the person who plays the original music, um, and then they see the, the actors, the actors who perform the characters. And the actors, most of them are not believers. They don't, that's not a prerequisite. Uh, they are professional actors, and they are re-dramatizing the story of God in the lives of people. And what's really neat about this whole thing is this takes you back into the early days, not of his Christian radio, but the way radio used to be, live radio. That's right. Would be when you would have a live audience and sound effects and there would be different voices and radio is called theater of the mind. It is. You know? It is. It really is. And because it is the true story of God and the life of real people, they're not, I mean, these are not just... They're not well-known people. They're the lives of people that could, a person that lives next door. It's the person who lives down the street. It's your teacher, your lawyer. It's a child in the school with, with your child. It's a student that was in the school with you. It's the story of a family. It's the story of a culture that you know very little about. And you find that in that culture, even though the culture is different, there are similarities in every culture because everyone is a child and everyone goes to school and everyone has disappointments and everyone needs hope. So what Unshackled does is show that God was always there. 
That's what I love about it, is that God was always there. A backup writer that we have working with us presently, in some of the older stories, as we do redo classics, I told him that I said, well, we insert scripture in in sections of the story. And he said, well, in the older stories, older stories, you only use the scripture at the salvation time. I said, God was always there. Yeah. <laughs> Before they were ever born, God says, I was there. So the word of God was always there, though the person didn't know it. So we dropped the word of God into the life of the story, saying, if I knew this, yeah. the word of God says this, if I had known, all of those things are true things from the word of God. So One of the things, too, I like about the name unshackled because that's what Jesus does for us. That's right. A life bound in sin by birth. We're born with a sin nature. And you know, you don't have to teach a child to do wrong. You have to teach them to do right. Inherent nature that we have is to do wrong, put ourselves on the throne. That is how we become in bondage because that's who we are as sinners. But the blood of Jesus, the grace of Christ on the cross that we can receive does unshackle us from that guilt. That's right. That that sin, but we can't work for it. We can't earn it. We don't deserve it. And that's why his grace unshackles us. That's right. That's right. Well, I'm excited about the fact that that God died. It took God to die. Sometimes you know, they have on cable, we look at the nature shows, the natural shows, the shows, the wonder of creation, the beauty of, oh my, of mountains and the terrain in many places all around the world, under the sea, the, the fish that are in the sea, uh, all the things that are under the waters. Uh, there are places that's so deep that it's very dark. And so there's there plant life that's growing that's white. It doesn't have color. And then to show the insects all over the world and all of these things, the heavens, that there are things that mankind has not found. It's still there anyway. And the things that they find, it's always been there. Well, this is God. And God says that he gives life to all that is living. And when we think of all of life that I talked about, that's not even human yet, that he gives life to all of that. He makes the flower bloom in the desert. He so the Bible says, so he gives breath to all that has ever lived and all that will ever live. And this God died. For my soul. That is so amazing. When I say God, yeah, yeah. I make him as big as I can. Yeah. Because he is. When you just think about, you can't wrap your mind around it. When no. you think about it, before the heavens were, before, I mean, he spoke That's it right. all into existence. That's right. That's well, Flossie, there's a journey that you went on to get to Chicago. You didn't start off from Chicago. No, You're not I from didn't. Chicago. No. You're no. from back around my neck of the woods. Yes. Not too far. You were born in Mississippi. I was born in Mississippi. I was born in a very small town called Eden, Mississippi. It wasn't even a town. It's a village. And it's less of a village today than it was even then. But it was just right for a little girl. My circumstances started with my brother being very ill. He had pneumonia shortly after I was born. And my mother was taking care of her mother who was paralyzed. Uh, I had other siblings. I think there were four of them. And she had a husband. So my mother couldn't take care of me along with all the other things. So my grandmother, who lived right down the street from her, they let my grandmother take me into her home, my grandmother and my grandfather. So your mother was still an influence in your life. I mean, you still saw your mom. My grandmother, yes, I saw her every night. But during the day, when the greatest influence is happening, 
It was my grandmother, my grandfather, and my grandmother's friends, senior citizens, senior citizens who took this little girl into their hearts and their lives. My grandmother was a very godly woman. My grandmother was a caregiver just by heart because she loved the Lord. So if there was a woman who had a child or a woman that was sick uh, or something like that, my grandmother would go to her house and she would cook the meals and she would go to the garden and she would plant the garden. She would harvest the garden in harvest time if it was necessary, depending on what was the problem was. She would do the cooking or she would do sewing and she would take her little granddaughter with her. I mean, by this time, I know I'm going. I'm no longer a baby. And she would carry me wherever she went. So I found myself in a community that loved me. They loved me like they loved my grandmother. I was just interwoven into their hearts. So, I mean, you were in Mississippi. Did you not feel the threat of because of your skin color? I mean, was it? No. You, you, never, fe- I, you never experienced that. I never, that. never, never felt. I never felt any racial tensions toward me or from me. My grandmother loved, and she taught me love. It was the love of God. I didn't know that at the time. I even talked to her God. She talked to him all the time, so I talked to him too. I didn't know that he wasn't my God. He was hers, and of course he was there all the time. But people loved me, and I loved them back. And you know, when you have true love in your heart, even if others don't have it, you don't know it. Yeah. So I'm very lovingly naive. But plus, you know, Flossie, you learned some very valuable lessons in life. I mean, work ethic, hard yes, work. absolutely. You know, I think we're in a generation today that doesn't understand because all these push buttons, quick service, you know, hard work. There's a value and there's a lesson in working hard. There is. By the way, my parents had some work for me to do that I had to do. I didn't like working for them. For my grandmother, it wasn't work. For my parents, it was work. But because I was a happy child and I liked being happy. So because I liked being happy, when my mother, my parents gave me chores, I decided that their chores would be as if it was play for me. I could just enjoy it as if it was a play thing. So psychologically, work for me was play, and it was not a problem at all. And then, of course, as I shared in the meeting yesterday, my grandmother taught me something very special. She taught me to use all of the senses that God had given me. She blindfolded me as a small girl. I don't know how old I was, maybe five or six. I'm not really sure. But she would take me through this small village and blindfold me, and she would ask me, where are we? Tell me, what do you smell? What do you hear? She would just take me through the village, and she would have me to tell her, what are we nearing? Are we nearing a crossroad? Do you hear a car? Is there rocks here? Is there gravel here? She would make me see with my mind what I could not see with my eyes, to use my ears to hear what was around me. She said, if God takes your eyes, you must still be able to see with your mind. And she taught me, though I was right-handed, to use my left hand as well as my right. She said, if God takes your right hand, use your left one. So she taught me how to write with both my right hand and my left hand, and even to write with my toes. You can write with your toes? Not any longer. I can't even write with my left hand. But I learned to do what she taught me to do. What she taught me was not to allow circumstances to take away the joy of life. 
to experience the joy of life, no matter what the circumstances were. When did you leave Mississippi? I left Mississippi when I was 16 years old. I left when I was 16, and I moved to Cleveland, Ohio. You go to school? I went to school there, yes. I live with my... And why Cleveland? Well, let me just say that my father had always said that he had saved money for me to go to college. I could have gotten a college scholarship, but I was, when I was in, in first grade, and I moved from first grade to third grade because they said I was very smart. And even in third grade, they took me out of school for a while because I studied all of the time. They said I didn't play. I was a child that didn't play. I loved learning. I loved the exciting things. Of Everything was exciting to me. So I loved books because in there, there were other worlds and there were things that was not around me. And I loved them. They were so exciting to me. So the doctors told my parents that I would lose my mind if I continued to study. So, so they took me out of school, and my father bought a television so that that would take me... What year was this? Well, I was born in 49, so that had to be in the early 50s. That had to be in the early 50s. So we're talking small black and white television. Small black and white television, that's right, that he bought. And then he bought me rabbits. He bought rabbits. He made a rabbit pen. I helped him build a rabbit pen so that I could get my mind off of studying. I did all of those things, but at night when they went to bed, I would take a flashlight and get under the bed and read because I loved learning. Learning sets you free from whatever is around you, whatever is going on with you. And by this time, my grandmother was dead. She was dead, and as a little girl, you don't know what to do with death. It was, it was, it was devastating for me. And although, Flossie, you saw your grandmother's faith in action, you, you saw her pray and you saw the relationship she had with Christ, when was it that your personal journey with Christ began? Oh, my. It was years later because this smart girl was caught up in intellectual thinking and, you know, I excelled wherever I went. I was chosen to do many things and chosen by people because I had this, I guess, this very interesting face, let's say. Uh, So people liked me. So I was chosen to do a lot of things, and I love learning. So at the age of, say, 21 to 24, uh, from 21 to 24, I learned how to manage a man's business. And at 24, the man committed suicide. He had three different divisions. And at 24, I managed three divisions that was ran, that the employees were all men. And this was in Ohio? By this time, I've moved to Chicago. You moved to Chicago I've from moved there? To Chicago, okay, okay. yes. Where I had relatives here also. So um, at this place, it was a catering truck business. And the other business was that um, the, the company put air conditioners in. Volkswagen vehicles in a four-state area, and it was another location uh, in a suburb of Chicago. And then another area, they put heating and air conditioning in any kind of vehicle, trucks, and so forth. So there were three divisions, and the owner had committed suicide, the board of directors, and the court system, because the uh, board of directors put the company in Chapter 11, so they put me over the business. So I managed the business for the next three years until they could find a president to take over the position. Okay, now, did your husband come into play anywhere here? Nowhere. Nowhere. No husband. You haven't met him yet? No, I haven't met him yet. I'm still a lost (laughs) girl thinking I'm God. I got involved in a lot of social organizations, and I got involved with some political organizations because I wanted to help the world. I wanted to help people to be happy. I wanted to help to make life better. What was life in Chicago like at that time? 
Well, life for me was pretty good. I mean, I, I had a job. Well, I'm talking about the people that you wanted to see help to make their lives better. I think just people in general. People were just not happy. There were people that were lower middle class individual. There were people that were, that were not educated. So I felt like in a community where there were people who were educated, that we should set up centers to allow people who were not educated to come there in the evening. And we could use our skills to train them. So I joined a social organization to try to start something like that. I was always trying to help people to be better, to rise to the highest level that they could go. I got involved with social organizations to promote it, very honestly. And then I got involved with political people to do things that I thought should happen in the world. But I found the fallacy of it is that it was for them. It was more for money and prestige and power. And I didn't like that. I found that I was working with individuals that were not honest. They were not, it was not truth. They were presenting yeah. something that was not totally well, true. At any of this point, did you have flashbacks about thinking about maybe your grandmother's faith? Was there any thought in your life, hey, you know, I'm missing something in life or something well, that's not really... not yet. Not yet, because I was, you know, I was my own God. Uh, but in time, the Lord used history. Uh, he used... PBS television and the story of histories. I watched them, series of histories and the leaders in history. And as I watched, I decided to go back to the library and read the history for myself. And I found in the history books as I read, whether it was a victory or defeat, there was a presence of a person that was not named. I read Europe history. I read Greek history. I read Roman history. I felt the presence of a person always. And I wondered, why didn't they name it? Who is this person? They're unnamed. I could feel the presence of that person. Well, in time, the fallacy of life just overwhelmed me. And I felt I couldn't trust anyone, not even myself. But I was too hooked on myself to take my life but what do you do when you're 26 years old and you've hooked all of your life to what I had now achieved to find that it was empty? What do you do now? I didn't know. So I was dating a guy that wanted to change jobs. I was not reading newspapers because, you know, everything there is not true. So, but he had a newspaper because he was looking for a different job. And there was a caption in the Chicago Tribune on a Sunday, the man that cheated death. An unusual title for an article. So I read it. I read it that Sunday. And the same article was repeated on Monday. So I got a newspaper at that time, and I read the article Monday evening. And I read the Tuesday evening article. And I read the Wednesday article. And it told the story of a man who was in an airplane crash New Year's Eve night. He was traveling from California to Hawaii for New Year's. The plane crashed. His best friend and their dog died and he watched in the crash and he watched his wife drown and he swam the next 17 and a half hours. And while swimming and the sharks was coming to eat him, he knew that God had not allowed him to survive the crash to be eaten by sharks. And the Lord sent a porpoise to swim beside this man 
from that point on until they found him 17 and a half hours later in this article. And I said to God, I don't want to go to the Pacific Ocean. I want to receive what this man received from you in the ocean. And he made me know that the girl who had read the Bible and who could teach a a Sunday school class as a teenager intellectually, that he was still there and that Jesus had died a life for me to give me a life that I had never lived. And I said to God, I want this life. I didn't know what repentance was, but I had told God that I could feel God through the years tugging on me. And I tell him, listen, I am not going to ask you for nothing because I'm not going to give you nothing. So I'm not praying to you. If I'm sick, let me die. I don't want you to help me because I'm not going to help you. I remembered my words to Almighty God, and I said to him, I deserve to die. I want to cut my wrist and die slowly. And he made me know that Jesus had died so that I could live. And I said to God that Wednesday night, I'll live the rest of my life for you. I didn't know what salvation was, but it was true. And the next morning, I woke up to a stranger. And I've been living with that stranger, which I learned was the Holy Spirit of God ever since. Flossie, what a journey, a journey that God orchestrated. I mean, the affairs, even though intellectually you thought you were your own and you were doing your own thing, God still was seeking you. He was still looking for you. That's you know? right. He was there all the time. He was there all the time. What a great story. Yes. Okay. So at that point, when did Pacific Garden Mission come into my world? Come into your world. Yeah. Christian radio. Really? Christian radio. My sister called me about a week after my salvation. And as she was speaking to me, she says, I hear the voice of the Lord coming out of your mouth. And I says, Ida, I don't know what's wrong with me. I look in the mirror and I'm looking at my face and I'm looking at my hands and I see my hands, but I'm not here. I don't know who's in me, but I know that I'm gone and I'm wondering, will I ever come back? And she said, Flossie, you're saved. And she gave me a Bible and I began to read it. And she said, I want you to turn your radio on. Isaiah 26, 3 says, he will keep you in perfect peace if your mind is stayed on him. And I turned it on 90.1, which was Moody Radio. And it was on day and night. From that point, it's still on in the office today <laughs> in Chicago. By the way, there's no bot station in Chicago, so we can say that, okay? Absolutely. <laughs> Christian Radio. Christian Radio. That's the key. Christian Radio. Yes. I turned it on. And God used the stories of great Christians and the stories of Unshackle to make me know that what I was reading from Genesis to Revelation was lived out in the lives of the stories of great Christians. Yes. And I aspire to be as true to God as those stories of great Christians. And then, in time, I became a youth sponsor at my church. I wanted to take the children. I was training my children to be missionaries because as I read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, I didn't find America in the book of Revelation. And I was sure that America was going to fall. So I had a passion to share the gospel with everyone that had a head on their neck. 
no matter where I found okay, them. Okay, now get us to how you got to be the juror. You know. So let me fast forward. Yeah. So we came to Pacific Garden Mission, and there I met a man who was a tour guide. And the tour guide, a year and a half later, became my husband. <laughs> Look, fast forward, the Lord put us together in marriage, and we worked together, and then he sent us to Bible College in Indianapolis, and we were there for seven years. He brought us back to Pacific Garden Mission in Chicago, and they put me in the Shackle Department, and the rest is history. August 20th, 1995. I came to the Unshackled Department knowing nothing about Unshackled or radio, and it has been a marvelous adventure to walk with the Lord. And you see your story repeated countless times. Absolutely. Is there shared on the radio show Unshackled? Absolutely. Every story subject that I work with, I find myself in that story. I find uh, that newness of life and, and the victory and... Uh, and, and, and let me just say that as I worked in corporate America from salvation, probably for the first eight years or so after salvation, no, 18 years after salvation, I worked in cap- corporate America. So I've been able to counsel, to mentor people who are saved and still working as lay people. Through the years, it's been very excited uh, letting people know how to stand as a Christian for God in the workplace without violating the laws of the person that is your employer. I've got to ask you one more question before okay. we say goodbye. Okay. Flossie, is it a family name? Where did Flossie come from? It came from a friend, a best friend of my mother's. Her name was Flossie. And um, if I've met her, I don't know it. Uh, my mother told me about her. And when my mother died, I wanted to meet her. But she lived in Detroit and she was not able to come. And thus, I've never met her. But she was my mother's best friend. I think it's a fun name. I love it. It's inviting. It's it is. warm. You have been inviting and warm this afternoon on our I program. I love it. I, I love it. God bless you, Flossie McNeil. Thank you for what you're doing for Christ's kingdom through Pacific Garden Mission and helping to see lives unshackled through the grace of Jesus Christ. Well, I love to tell the world what Jesus has done in every life. Jesus says, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He's the only one. It's the invitation of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says to every nation, every tongue, every language, every person, no matter who it is, come unto him. He is the answer. I love to tell it because he did it to me. Mid-South Viewpoint is locally produced in the Bot Radio Network Memphis Studios, airing Tuesday through Thursday at 3 p.m. The show is available at BotRadioNetwork.com or on the Bot Radio mobile app for iPhone and Android users, as well as iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcast. If you have an idea for an upcoming show, email btyler at BotRadioNetwork.com.